0: It's really my privilege to be here. Um, I, I, I had the chance, some of you may not know, to serve as an interim pastor before Gary came, and so did have a, a lovely time of connection here with the church. And so I feel like this is a homecoming and am a supported missionary with the church or by the church. So I want to thank you very much for the care and, and support that is reflected in that ministry. Let me begin with uh, a word of prayer. Fathers, we speak uh, this morning about... Some issues of missions, thinking about, thinking after Paul and uh, uh, his own approach to missions, uh, gospel ministry, uh, global wide. Uh, I pray that I could uh, reflect a little bit of what I've gained from you and that your spirit and your heart would be present in what we share. Commit this to you then in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I want to talk about what Christ has accomplished this morning. Uh, what Christ has accomplished in Paul's life, what Christ has accomplished in um, Harvest, and what Christ has accomplished in the church at large, and what Christ has accomplished in my life in ministry. I'd, I'd love to have you walk away with a sense of, you know, Christ is really good. I, I'm so glad we were reminded this morning of who Christ is uh, in a fresh way, in a new way. As Every Sunday I hope we walk away with that sense of, who Christ is, because he makes the difference. And um, I'll have to say that in my meeting Christ years ago, I'll never forget uh, kind of the wrestling match that I had. I was a high school student. That's why the Thai Valley uh, ETV, uh, I hope God, trust God, will use it strongly, because I, as a 15-year-old, had a friend of mine die in a motorcycle crash, and then uh, the following summer as a 16-year-old, I was asking, is God even there? I was raised in a fine evangelical home, but it was really a, a coming to the point where I, I wondered if it wasn't just all a charade, uh, this God thing. And um, I went out on a hillside for a set of reasons, uh, a set of circumstances where it was clear that God was nudging, drawing, pulling, tugging as I look back and, and experiencing that I went out on the hillside and said, God, if you're really there, I need to hear from you, please. (laughs) And uh, whatever it takes, I want to hear from you. And I sat there for over an hour. I realized, uh, you know, no one can barge into someone's office if they're important and insist that uh, you get an immediate appointment. And so I thought, well, God, maybe you're busy. I'll just wait for a little while and see if anything happens. And uh, as I sat there for well over an hour... uh, watching birds flutter around and clouds go by. It was a beautiful location. They ended up filming years later a movie there called A River Runs Through It, literally on the spot that I was looking at. So this is the Boulder River Valley in Montana. So a beautiful scene at least. And um, as I'm watching all of this and nothing happens, I'm reflecting on, you know, why it is that a good a good god if he 's a good god wouldn 't speak to someone who 's sincerely saying, I must hear from you please i 've got to hear from you or i 'm just going to quit pretending that i 'm a christian, and somewhere in the middle of all of that, or towards the end of that hour, hour and twenty minutes, half an hour, hour and a half, uh, it dawned on me no voice, nothing you know too weird, but sort of like oh, I forgot to turn the lights off, or I forgot to call, you know, that sort of independent thought. And it went something like this, hey, try reading your Bible, dummy. <laughs> so I, I, well, I, okay, if I want to hear from God, maybe I should try that. So I picked it up and started reading Matthew. And as I was reading Matthew, I discovered, <laughs> get to the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about something called sin, and I qualified. And I and, oh, whoa, this is pretty stiff stuff. Uh, What do you want from me? By the end of chapter 5, be perfect like your Father in in heaven is perfect. And I went, I don't think I know how to do that. And as I continued reading, um, it was uh, really starting to narrow down the options. You know, No one can serve two masters. You're going to love the one and hate the other, serve the one and despise the other. You cannot serve your ambitions in the world and God at the same time. It's going to be one or the other. Ah, you want me to join a monastery I'd stumbled into a conversation with the, te- the Bible text by the way so I said to Jesus who is the one speaking in the text so do you want me to join a monastery that's kind of a Catholic thing to do is that what you want me to do and, um, and the next thing I read is look at the birds of the air and the flowers of the field which I'd been doing for an hour and a half they don't struggle do they Solomon, in all of his splendor, wasn't arrayed like they are. Won't he take care of you, O man of little faith? Ooh, all right. So what do you want from me? And it was interesting. In the course of that exchange, that conversation that I was having with the Bible, um, I, I said, well, you know what? I'm so desperate to hear from you. I thought, if I hold back, there's no reason for him to talk to me if I'm going to ignore what he has to say. And I thought of the worst thing he could ever do to me. I thought, well, if, if he tells me something, what's the worst he could tell me? Would I be willing to do that? And I thought, to be a missionary. Ugh, 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 ugh. yeah, <laughs> if it, even if, it, if you pushed me to that level, okay, I'm that desperate, I would even be a missionary in booga-booga land. I don't know, whatever you, you know, I'm that desperate. I want to hear from you. So so guess what I am now? A missionary. (laughs) and I've booked a flight to, uh, in August, I'll be heading off again to Kigali, Rwanda, where I've been a number of times. That's pretty close to Booga (laughs) Booga Land. But it's a lovely place and lots of wonderful things going on there. So God has indeed turned me into what is called a global worker, a missionary, if you like. And it's been the richest of all things. So I want to talk, if I could, a little bit and promote the idea that all of us are called to missionary work, to ministry as missionaries. And, and Paul sets us up for that in uh, Romans chapter 15, the text that we want to look at. So what does it look like to be a missionary? In my case, does it have an impact? Yeah, in practical terms. Do I like the Seattle Seahawks? Have I followed them through the years? Yes. Yes. So, what does it mean being a missionary? It means watching the Super Bowl at 2 a.m. in England. So, picture me eating popcorn with about 20 other people watching the Super Bowl in Chippenham, England. And that's what it is to be a missionary. <laughs> it's not altogether bad, I promise you. It was good popcorn, good fellowship. And the English people were saying, now, what, what, what did they just do there? What did they, why did they do that? It does, it's not like our football. <laughs> So I'm, you know, I actually was... Had, I was in England just until t- about two weeks ago. So I was there when England got booted out of the World, World Cup. And it was a good thing I got out of England. They were deeply depressed. <laughs> but it, in a way, being a missionary is different, but it's not different. And, and, it's, uh, and it's something that it would be great to explore a little bit. Uh, is it uh, different, for instance, than ministry here in Clark County? As a layperson, being doing ministry, sharing my heart, um, is it really different? And the answer is yes and no. Um, the blog that uh, that Bob mentioned, my, my blog is called org, and it's interesting that the theme of spreading goodness caught my attention. It's a phrase that was given by a Puritan named Richard Sibbs back in the 17th century, who I studied very closely for three years. And he said, you know, the key to why we are here is that God has a spreading goodness. If God had not in his triune reality, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, had a mutual love of the Father and the Son and the ministry of the Spirit communicating that mutual love, if there had not been that love of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, there would never have been a creation nor a redemption. It is the spreading out of that goodness of God's love that accounts for our being here today, that accounts for our being created, that accounts for the cross of Jesus Christ, the cost of our being brought back into the fold after our four, four parents, particularly Adam and Eve, but everyone else since then, having gone astray like sheep being brought back. If it weren't for his spreading goodness, we would never have the response to the gospel that we have. And so it's that spreading goodness that we see referenced here. And that spreading goodness can spill out here in Clark County. It can spill out up where I was yesterday morning, Whidbey Island, in ways that are just as effective as what's going on in Chippenham, England. And so... Is it similar, yes, to be a missionary here versus a missionary in Chippenham, England? Yes, it's different. It's the same. It's both. Uh, But what are some of the features of doing what we call global ministry? Well, part of it is that you have a lot more uh, insecurity. There's just a lot of, I don't know what's going to come next. There's a sense of uh, depending on people to provide support, you know, I taught for 20 years at a local Bible college, and it was nice to get that salary. It was really secure. And then I resigned in 2007, and I went, ah, now it's going to happen. And the answer is, it's been a great time, because what I found is people rallied around me, and my, my faith in Christ was supported by the faith that others had in Christ. And the support came in, and I've been sustained through the years. But, boy, there's a lot of insecurity because we love security, and God isn't as excited about our being secure as we are because our security tends to keep us self-concerned versus our looking to Christ as the one who cares for us every moment of the day. And so I found that becoming a global worker has been a joy to have more dependence and less independence, more insecurity than security, but with a fundamental security that he is the one who says, look at the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. You think I can't take care of you? I take care of them. I'll take care of you. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and let him add all these other things to you. That, that's his territory. And I think that's been the enjoyment of the last few years. More than ever before, I've learned what it is to live with the security that comes in our insecurity <laughs> Some global workers. So some people maybe wouldn't want to be a global worker just because it's not very practical. There's a lot of insecurities involved, and you don't feel called. Well, fair enough. Um, And also, what's the difference between being a global worker and being someone here in Clark County as a Christian? Another piece of uh, reflection that I had is that there's lots of different cultures involved. It's hard, for instance, to go off and bump into other cultures. A month ago, what was it that I was called to do? This is hard to talk about. This just going to call for a little confession. I went with Dave Seawright to Turin, Italy, Torino, to visit with one of the first graduates of our program that I work with called Cordeo, the Heart of God, that we're offering in Chippenham, England. Hugh Williams, a w- Welshman, is now the pastor of the International Church of Torino. So he asked us to come and share, and so we happened to be there, on the Gelato Fest weekend, there's the confession: I was trying to eat my body weight in gelato. <laughs> a different place, a different setting, very exotic. No one spoke English much, much at all. Uh, but really, a pl- privilege to be there and to see about twenty, about probably about eighteen to twenty people of that little church gathered around and spending from uh, noontime until 5 p.m., studying, eating some uh, pasta at the start, and then studying First uh, John in depth, and just digging in. Oh, we had a good time. And just to see how far that church had come in the time since Hugh came there three and a half years ago and became the pastor. Just an absolute thrill to see God at work but certainly different than what it would be like to uh, go to Baskin's and Robin here, just because gelato has a little less cream in it, than, but not fundamentally different. Uh, the fact that the language differences are present, but you know what? You can get over that in a hurry. It, to do ministry is a thrill no matter where you get to do it, and to be able to do it in a place like Torino, is a joy, even though we almost miss the airplane. <laughs> There's a little trauma that goes with traveling, and, uh, but I won't get into that. You can ask me some other time. But it's a thrill to be able to say, God, whatever it takes, I'm yours, we're yours. We want to be used by you. And I have had a chance to experience that a little bit. One of the things that um, happens with ministry is it touches lives perhaps in ways a little more direct a little more intense than will happen in our ordinary flow. I've got a slide I'd like to just show you. We can pop that up there, a picture. This was our graduation uh, from uh, just four weeks ago. This is what we do with Cordeo. Cordeo is something that was started, uh, Peter Mead and I. Peter is the third one from the right, the tall one there. And you can possibly spot me next to another one of the tall guys, Charlie. And we started it three, four years ago, and I work with a ministry called Operation Mobilization. I'm, I'm part of Barnabas International, but they send me as a, a worker to work with OM through this ministry called Cordeo. So I'm seconded, as they would say. And as we started this, what I did was a, we were able to work with a group of men each year, and we put a lid on it. We don't work with more than six this year we had five, and then we have three of us uh, uh, who are staff. And what we do is we meet with them for 20 weeks, and that's why I'm gone from, largely gone from uh, January to June. It's a 20-week ministry. And our goal is to take a group of men who come and study with us Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all day long, and we study in order to equip them at a high level, at the level where I, I would used to teach the content that I used to teach when I was teaching at Multnomah uh, Bible College and Seminary. We bring them up to that level in the content of Bible study in particular, some church history and applied theology, that is practical theology, how to be pastors, with the idea that these men would be then equipped to be elders in their local churches. Because it's hard to find people who have been trained well enough to serve as elders in England. It's just hard to find. Who knows their Bible well enough? Who knows, has enough background to make some of the judgments? And the answer is, well, both in the United States and in England, that tends to be a frail territory. And that's our ambition, just to offer that to the church. So the church in England can have some raw material to work with in decades to come, and by keeping it small, we go heart on heart, life on life. We're not looking to offer grades or to give uh, some sort of a credential. In fact, this is the most we get out of it. At the end, we have a nice dinner out at a golf course and always have our annual photo there in the golf course. It does look nice, doesn't it? It was a beautiful place called Castle Coombe is where we, where we have the our annual dinner. Let me just tell you, though, about the men that we're working with. From the left, we have Brian. Brian Dexter. Who is Brian? He's a medical doctor, and he's retired early from his practice because he's an elder in his church, and he wants to give himself more to ministry and have less time on the medical side. So he uh, came and joined us at age 55. Next to him is uh, Paul. Paul is, uh, has been a missionary with his wife, Anina, a Finnish lady. He's, he's Brit. They're all Brits, actually. And uh, Paul has been in Thailand for the last five years, doing a ministry among the tourists of Thailand. And they have kind of, they realize lots of stray people go to places like Thailand and get themselves in trouble. And some of those people who get themselves in trouble have a spiritual appetite and are hungry to go somewhere beyond their appetites. And Paul and Anina would take them in and shepherd them. But Paul recognized that he didn't have enough Bible and theology under his belt. And so he came and joined us for the 20-week program. Uh, Next to him is Jake. Jake is a a man who is a a handyman. He's a practitioner. And he had the freedom to step aside from his work. And he's a, a lay elder. And he wanted to have more equipment to be able to be a leader. And he was working with a pastor of a sister church in Devon, where he's from, um, named Mark Stance. And Mark Steintz is a pastor now who had uh, the training we offered four years ago uh, with Cordeo. And he says, if you want to be prepared to be a better elder, go and join the guys at Cordeo. And so he came and joined us. And next to him is me. Next to me is Charlie. Charlie is the young side. We had a 55-year-old. He's the 22-year-old who just graduated from the University of Exeter in social work. And he's now going on to work on his masters in social work at uh, Bristol University. Very bright guy. Oh my goodness. He is going to mark people's lives for years to come. And it's just a joy to be able to work with this youngster and have him ask these deep, reflective questions. And for years to come, he'll mark people in whatever role he takes in the church. And next to him is uh, Philip, and Phil just became a father for the first time. And, um, And just to watch the change that's occurring with him, he looks forward to becoming an Anglican minister. And he recognizes that the Anglican church is, in many ways, a church confused about its roots and its future. And he wants to bring life into it. And so his 20 weeks with us was preparation to go on and do formal theological training to become an Anglican minister. So that's the group that we've had. And to put 20 weeks of just giving our hearts away, that's what it is to be a global missionary, a global worker, in my case. And I'll tell you, I cannot think of anything I'd rather do than what we're doing here with our Cordeo ministry it's a joy beyond joy. There's no committee meetings. <laughs> Finishing up with Multnomah, I had a good time there, I promise you. No committee meetings and no grades, and watching guys change with a profound transformation, and to be in groups small enough that since we're not drawing salary, but we're supported, each one of us are supported missionaries, we can uh, then give away what we have to offer without charging the men anything. It's just strictly f- free for them. Uh, you- so uh, then on the right is Peter, my co-worker, and then David Seawright is next to Peter, uh, second from the right. And David Seawright is a former student of mine at Multnomah. And I reached 66, so it's time for me to be backing down and passing the baton age-wise, because I want to do some writing and slow down a little bit. So I'm actually doing a little less work with my Cordeo ministry in this year to come. I'll reduce my time there, so I'll um, little less time overseas. And David, who has been trained in history, which is my special field, is filling in more and more the role that I once had there. And he's living there full-time. He and his wife, uh, they're Americans. And they've moved to Chippenham, which is near Bath, which is near Bristol, 100 miles west of London. And then, uh, then uh, Mike, on the far right, is our new administrator, who was part of our group last year. And he went through the 20-week program, and he worked with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for eight years before he came and joined us at Cordeo. So that's a little bit of a snapshot of um, who we are and what we offer. I think this thing is, needs to be readjusted here, forgive me. So, so enough of the picture. What does it look like to be a global worker? In my case, that's what it looks like, and it's a sweet time. I'll have another few trips to go over to England in order to continue this ministry but what I'd like to do is talk a little bit about Paul and his sketch that he offers us very briefly in chapter 15 and how and why we do ministry can I read a little bit of that text for you chapter 15 picking it up in 14 verse 14 and reading through um, uh, verse 21 where Paul talks about his own view of ministry and being a missionary I myself am satisfied about you, he's speaking here to the Romans, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to uh, instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it, as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So that's a little bit of what we would call Paul's Philosophy of ministry, his presentation of what it is that he's doing and why he was doing it. So, first of all, what is it that Paul would say to us about how to be a missionary? Did you catch that in the text? Let's just review it and pick out some of these elements. In Paul's case, it came from a problem. And we get that from reading the letter to the uh, Romans at large. This is a church that Paul had not visited. So it's not a church that he planted, the church in Rome. But he has reports, and we find in chapter 16, that two of the people who are in that church, Priscilla and Aquila, a couple, a married couple, who are dear, dear friends of Paul, would have apparently informed him of some of the challenges that they were facing, their Bible content challenges. And he's trying to get that stuff sorted out. So that, that's the rest of Romans. And that sets up how he has been a missionary to people that he's never visited. So what does that tell us? That missional work can include writing letters to people that we care for about the things that we know God cares for and just sharing those in a heart-to-heart way. That's what this letter to the Romans is about. And so he says, now I've written to you a little boldly. I know that you've had... I know you're good folks. You're fine. But I just want to share some things that may be helpful to you. And believe me, we've treated the letter to the Romans ever since then as one of the most helpful books of the Bible because he takes on some issues head-on that need to be talked about in any church. That's Paul. That's his being a missionary. It's giving his heart away. And he goes on and talks a little bit more about his being a missionary. He talks about this in the context of God's grace. And we pick that up here. He says... I'm satisfied that you're, you, you, uh, easy for me to say, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But in some points I've written to you boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And what Paul is doing here is saying that he himself is very conscious of the fact that he was selected by God to do ministry which, by the way, is called being converted. Every one of us is, when we become a Christian, made into a missionary, to be someone who spills the spreading goodness of God in this cascading reality of God's love for us. In Paul's case, he's reflecting back to the grace of God that came to him. In fact, we could pick it up in uh, Acts chapter 9. Let me just read some segments of Acts 9, where he says in verse um, 3, Now he, when Paul went on the way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly, falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And we find later on in verse 15, the Lord said to him uh, through Ananias, who was there sent by God to help. Uh, in this conversion, the Lord said to him, go, for he, speaking of visiting Paul and talking to Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. In a way, that reminds me of my own conversion there on the hillside at Clydehurst. Well, what do you want from me, God? Everything. Everything. Even to be a missionary in Booga Booga Land? Everything. But you see, there's no relationship with God who made us for good works that he prepared us us for beforehand unless we give ourselves to him. In other words, we were made by him, for him, so that we could then give away his love to others. And that's what Paul is saying. This grace has been given to me, even though my unique challenges are something you know about. I've certainly experienced some hardships, Paul was saying. But that's okay, because it's so important. What I have to offer is so important. Ah, that's the grace of God. And his work in and through me has been the joy of my life. So as he carries this forward, he, he talks more about how this unfolding grace is offered. And he says, you know, In ministry, we accept Christ as giving us a unique and priestly role. And so he goes on and talks about this in a way that's very kind of Old Testament. Some of us may know the Old Testament sacrificial system. Let me just read verse 16. That he was called to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Now Paul, in writing to the Romans, knows that part of his audience will be Jewish. And he wants to explain his ministry in terms that they will understand. And in those days, the temple in Jerusalem was still active as a place where they would offer sacrifices of animals to please God. And the animals were made holy by the process, the ritual process of the sacrificial system there in Jerusalem. Well, Paul wants to use that language to say, you know what? I am a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable. Offering of the Gentiles? He's in effect saying, you know, what I have been able to do is give my ministry to God and my ministry has been to the Gentiles and I'm giving that ministry of having launched a bunch of churches in different places to you, God, as my offering of my life, my life ministry. And the point is that to be a Christian is to have a priestly role where we're giving ourselves away. As we have received, we spill out, we share what we've received to those around us. That's what it is to be a missionary. Forget the term. It's just to be a a Christian who spills Christianity wherever we go, whether Clark County or Chippenham, it doesn't matter. And so... Paul, in this case, talks about that unique ministry that he has, and he talks about how it operates. And it's interesting to hear the Trinitarian features here. He says, To be a minister of Christ Jesus, there's the Son, to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, that's the Father, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So, what he's saying here is, What Christ has done, his sacrifice, is the means by which we're forgiven, and the Holy Spirit then takes people and blends together the heart of God with our hearts. We're united with Christ by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We become those who are Christians, and as Christians, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we're able then to come to God and share what we gain from God to those around us. And that sets up all kinds of practical implications. I'll mention one in a minute. And so the role then is uh, that we have is a, a role of entrustment. It is a ministry by the Holy Spirit. So he goes on, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my works for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Now, the title that I gave this little talk, this sermon this morning, is what Christ has accomplished. And so Paul is talking about the work that he's doing, and I can talk about the pictures of what we've done in Chippenham, England, and tell some stories about that. But what I'm really doing is telling you this is what Christ has been doing. And you can tell me what Christ has been doing through harvest. And I live down at the bottom of the hill here. I'm a Prune Hill guy. And I want to know what's going on at Prune Hill. If you catch me at Starbucks down here by the QFC, let me know what the latest is when I'm in town because I want to hear what Christ is doing in the neighborhood. See, that's the nature of a spilling out Christianity. Wherever we go, we get to spill it. And Paul is saying that's the work of God by the Holy Spirit. And it's the Spirit who does the work of transformation. So the question is, how do we then become successful as missionaries? Well, 17, 17 and 18 give us a sense of being authentic, to use a fancy word that is often, often used by young people today. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. But then he qualifies it. But I, I won't do anything except elevate what Christ has accomplished in me. Do you catch the point? I can work out my own salvation with fear and trembling, but who's at work in me? It's God who's at work in me. And what I need to do is be oriented to Christ, and Christ then pours through me uh, things that are sort of unselfconscious. I'm not so conscious in, in the way that any relationship will shape me. When I'm present to Christ through the Word of God and through the fellowship of other believers and the ministry of the Holy Spirit within us, I'll then spill out to anyone around me what's going on inside Without my being so conscious of what I'm doing. And that's all I get to do in Chippenham is be Ron. That's all it is. And Peter is Peter, and Dave is Dave, and Mike is Mike, and we give ourselves away to the group of guys there. And they are changed, deeply changed, because we study the Bible together. And we talk about what does this mean? What do we do with this? What difference does it make? Really rich, rich times. So, and it's both verse 18, words and deeds that are the key to this. It's not just words, it's words and deeds. And so as Paul talks about that, he says, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. And what he does is he moves more broadly. He talks about the word and deeds. And then he says, oh yeah, you know, it's clear that God was at work in ways through signs and wonders that demonstrated that God really was at work in us. Now, I can't say we're doing signs and wonders there in Chippenham. But we are bringing a change so that what Mark Steins is doing down in Devon and what Hugh Williams is doing in Torino is bringing change in ways that I've been able to watch. And you get to see the Spirit of God at work through the Word of God, making people more and more than ever before into children of God. And that change is dramatic. Well, that's the sign and wonder of God at work today in the church. And he can work anywhere as we set our eyes on Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. And so that's the kind of context that we have here. And um, then Paul makes a point on where to be a missionary. Well, first of all, verse 19, let me just comment on that. He says, by signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. Ultimately, we can trust that God will work through his Spirit. We don't have to wait until I get a feeling just give yourself away with the Word of God, and the Spirit of God uses that in his own ways. Okay, that's his job. I don't have to sit around saying, are you at work yet? Are you at work yet? Of course he's at work. If we have his Word pouring into our lives, it will pour out of our lives, and the Spirit of God will use it. So, with that as context, the question is, well, where should I be a missionary? Verses 19 and 20. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. What's interesting is Paul recognized that his role was to share the gospel with Gentiles and he starts in Jerusalem after he's saved. He goes up to Jerusalem, kind of gets things, sort of, am I doing all right here? Then he goes out and he starts sharing and he goes all the way up to the regions north of Macedonia, Philippi, where he went with the Philippians, Philippians, for instance, and Berea and those places. He goes apparently all the way up into what is now Albania. That's Illyricum on the Adriatic coast. And he says, all the way from Jerusalem to Illyricum. That's where I've done my ministry. That's my territory, and I always go to Gentile churches. That is to say, I go to try and start among the Gentiles new churches. That's my mission. And the fact is, each one of us will be given a unique mission. In my case, how did I end up in Chippenham? Well, Peter, the Brit, the tall one, came to me when I was visiting him as part of my Barnabas ministry. He's a former student of mine from Multnomah. And he said, Ron, the churches in England don't have good elders. They don't know what they're doing. Do you want to team up with me and we could be part of a program, a ministry that helps equip elders be elders? I'm in. There it was. Easy call. And I realized that God had set me up for that kind of ministry. And I'm itching to do it. I just don't get opportunities to do it. And here was the opportunity. I said, yes, Lord. Notice that the Lord had prepared my heart to do that. And then he gave me the opportunity. Now, it's a unique ministry. It's a distinct ministry. I'm a teacher, and it took someone with a teacherish quality to fit into that role. But guess what? Each one of us have been given unique giftedness. And that's the the reality of our excitement in Christ, you'll never be excited about your faith until you discover how God equipped you to give yourself away and start to give yourself away. That's where your faith really starts to become lively. So if you're sitting around saying, yeah, but I like being secure. I love security, stability. Yeah, that's fine for you, Ron. It's not fine for you. You've got to be a little bolder. Look for someone to talk to in the coffee shop. Ask who God is going to bring into your life down at uh, Albertson's or Freddie's or just wait for God to give you an opportunity. He will do it, and you'll start to discover the joy of giving your faith away in gentle but meaningful ways, just day after day after day. So, for instance, let's just ask this, so what? I've got to quit here. What Paul does, is he talks, he takes a passage out of uh, Isaiah 52, which is wonderful because it's just before Isaiah 53, the sacrificial servant You know, die bruised for your iniquities. That's the servant. And he says, you know, I know what the context of this passage is that says there's a call for someone to go out and share where the gospel has never been heard. I'm going to share about the sufferings of Christ Jesus and through his sufferings, the life that he offers. But that you can look at on your own. Go read Isaiah 52 and 53, and you'll see how that quotation in uh, the chapter here fits into that. But let's ask finally the so what. What difference does this make for us? Well, here's the point. God's grace is still active, isn't it? That is, it's not it as his grace is something. Grace is a who? Who tapped Paul on the shoulder and said, Paul, what are you doing? Who are you? I'm Jesus. Well, I'm being religious. Yeah, but you're persecuting me while you're being religious. I'm over here and you think I'm over here. Get over here. And in that moment, he turned his life around. And for me, going to Bugaboo—I mean, uh, Kigali and Rwanda and Chippenham, England and other weird places in the world has been my particular track. But what's your particular track? The grace of God is active. Give yourself over to him and say, Lord, I don't know what you want to do with me, but I want you to do it with me. Just make it that simple. I don't know what you want to do with me, but please do it with me and make that your first step if you're not already there make that your next step be sure that you give yourself over to him and recognize that you're involved in a priestly service let me just tell you I mentioned that I was up in Oak Harbor yesterday morning well why was I there because my parents are frail my mother's had a set of strokes my my stepdad fell and broke his shattered his uh, right arm his dominant right arm and so he can't even dress himself, can't do toiletry issues. and just so guess what? He's a big man. My mother has 24-hour care at the house. They, they're still in their home. But um, we three boys, my siblings, my brothers, are in rotation. When I'm here, I get to go up and help out. So I' spent the last four days being with Russ, helping him out. And what was interesting is the women who come in and do home care to work with my mother, 24-hour care? They have their place in our house, my folks' house. I met the I met one of them for the first time yesterday. Her name was Teresa. She says, "Oh, you're wrong. Are you the pastor?" <laughs> well, sort of. I'm not pastoring a church right now, but but I did. You know, that's going through my head. And I said. Yes, I am. Oh, could you pray for me? Please, could you pray for me? I said, I will pray for you. And before I left that morning, I prayed for her. Do you see, do you catch what a priestly ministry is? When someone knows that we love Jesus Christ, someone is going to say, will you pray for me? Could Could you be someone who talks to God on my behalf? And then you get to have further conversations, and who knows where that will lead. So so what? Well, the answer is ask what God wants to do with you and focus on what Christ has accomplished, not on what you need to accomplish. Get the focus off yourself. Just say, Lord, booga-booga land, I don't care. Whatever you want to do with me, here I am. Let's pray. Father, as we get to come to the table and celebrate the cost of... This gospel that we're talking about, the shed blood, what we didn't look at in Isaiah 53, your body broken for us, um, the one who is perfect yet becoming sin on our behalf for our sake, experiencing death, and yet coming back to life. Thank you for that. And may this wonderful gospel spill out from harvest, from Camas, Clark County, to the world at large. More than ever before, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.